Welcome to PQ Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. My name is Pradeep Kumar. And my name is Rahul Damania, a current third-year pediatric critical care fellow. We come to you from Emory University School of Medicine, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Today's episode is dedicated to oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption in the pediatric ICU. We would like to highlight in this episode, Stanford University School of Medicine's LearnPQ website. The LearnPQ.com website is dedicated to reviewing clinical topics related to pediatric critical care. LearnPQ is an open access resource, which is widely accessed worldwide. The website has over 10,000 visits each month and is managed by Dr. Kevin Kuo, Clinical Associate Professor of Pediatric Critical Care at Stanford University. Dr. Kuo is also the Pediatric Critical Care Fellowship Director and has been featured on our prior episode entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective PICU Fellows. I highly recommend you listening to this episode. We are very excited to collaborate with LearnPICU.com and provide you, the listener, a comprehensive educational experience. Rahul, let's go ahead and get into today's case. A 17-year-old boy is admitted after he was struck by a car at slow speed while crossing the street. His initial vital signs are notable for saturations of 98%, heart rate of 98 beats per minute, with a normal capillary refill and perfusion. His blood gas on admission to the PICU reveals a pH of 7.3, PCO2 of 35, PAO2 of 196, and he is on a 50% non-rebreather with oxygen flowing at 12 liters per minute. His admission hemoglobin is 10.5 grams per deciliter. Four hours post-admission, the nurse notices that the patient is tachycardic to the 150s, has a drop in his blood pressure, has delayed capillary refill, and has cool extremities. He is found to have a hemothorax and an emergent chest tube is placed. During this decompensation, his saturations have decreased to 86% and his PAO2 has now come down to 65. He is found to have a point-of-care hemoglobin of 6.8. Rahul, let's take this case and highlight key components of oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption in the pediatric ICU. Let's first focus on oxygen delivery. Rahul, what are the components of oxygen delivery? Pradeep, this is a great concept. Now, oxygen delivery is made up of two components. Number one, we are going to be talking about oxygen content within the blood. And number two, we will highlight cardiac output. So in summary, oxygen delivery is oxygen content times cardiac output. Rahul, can you tell us more about oxygen content? Absolutely. Before we get into the formula, let's just think about oxygen content in the blood as how oxygen is carried around throughout the body. Oxygen can be carried around throughout the body in three major forms, hemoglobin, saturation, and PaO2. So now let's get into the formula. Arterial oxygen content is equal to 1.34 times your hemoglobin times your SaO2 plus the quantity 0.003 times your p little a o2. Important points to remember about this formula 
is that the constant 1.34 is the amount of O2 in mLs bound by one gram of hemoglobin. In some textbooks, you may see this number as 1.36 mLs. Whether you're talking about 1.34 or 1.36, these numbers represent the oxygen carrying capacity of hemoglobin. In a healthy person, say with a hemoglobin of 15, the oxygen carrying capacity is about 15 times 1.34, which is equal to 20 grams per cent. Now, many times the amount of oxygen bound to hemoglobin may not always reflect 100% saturation. So we need to factor in the oxygen saturation, which is the percent of hemoglobin that is bound by oxygen. And thus, you will get the first portion of this formula, 1.34 times your hemoglobin times your saturation. The final element is to understand that some oxygen is dissolved in the plasma and is calculated by using a constant 0.003 times your P little AO2, which represents the arterial oxygen that is going to be dissolved within the plasma. Typically, 100 mLs of arterial blood with a saturation of 100 will contain 100 times 0.003, which is going to give you 0.3 mLs of dissolved oxygen. This component of the formula will be important later on in this episode. Rahul, with that formula in mind, can you help us calculate the pre-decompensation oxygen content in our patient? Absolutely. Let's put this formula to work. Remember that in our case, the hemoglobin pre-decompensation was 10.5. His saturations were 98% and his PaO2 was 196. Plugging this into our formula, we get 1.34 times 10.5 times 0.98 plus the quantity 0.003 times P little AO2, which is 196. This equals 14.2 mLs of oxygen per deciliter of blood. Rahul, what about his post-decompensation oxygen content? The post-decompensation arterial oxygen content can be estimated by using the same formula. However, you are going to plug in different variables. Remember, our patient's oxygen saturation was 86%. Our patient's point-of-care hemoglobin was 6.8, and his PaO2 dropped to 65. Putting these into the equation, we get 1.34 times the hemoglobin of 6.8 times the saturation, which is 0.86, plus the quantity 0.003 times the patient's PaO2, which is 65. Overall, this patient will have an oxygen content which equals about 7.9 mLs of O2 per 100 mLs of blood. Rahul, excellent calculations using the formula for O2 content. So if you look at this patient, uh, the pre uh, and post O2 content, just with a drop in hemoglobin from 10.5 to 6.8 gram per deciliter, there's almost a 40% decrease in the patient's O2 content. So Pradeep, what is the best strategy to increase this patient's oxygen content? 
Rahul, that's an excellent question. And I think uh, as intensivists, we should approach every patient with this problem using this oxygen content formula at the bedside. We can increase this patient's FiO2 from 50% to 100%, which is the fastest thing we can do at the bedside by turning a knob on the ventilator or increasing the oxygen uh, from the wall. We can also talk to the family about a blood transfusion for this patient. Now, increasing FiO2 will increase this patient's oxygen content as given by the formula 1.34 times 6.8, which is the current hemoglobin, times 1, which is 100% of saturation, plus 0.03 times the P little AO2, which is 65. This will give us an oxygen content of about 9.1 just by increasing the FiO2 from 50% to 100%. Now, if we transfuse this patient, say, to a hemoglobin of 10 grams per deciliter with no increase in FiO2, we will get an oxygen content, and again, using the same formula of 1.34, now a hemoglobin of 10 instead of 6.8, uh, plus a saturation of 0.86. Add to this the quantity 0.003 times 65, which is the P little AO2, will give us an oxygen content of 11.7. Excellent. So to summarize, we started when this patient was decompensating with an arterial oxygen content of about 7.9. What we then did was we increased the patient's FiO2, and we got an oxygen content of about 9.1 mLs of O2 per 100 mLs of blood. Finally, what we did was transfuse this patient without even increasing the FiO2. And we got an oxygen content of 11.7 mLs of O2 per 100 mLs of blood. And so the summary of this is to understand that modulating the patient's hemoglobin via a blood transfusion gives the greatest bang for your buck in terms of optimizing your oxygen content. Rahul, we have to remember, there is some value in increasing P little AO2 in patients with acute severe drop in hemoglobin, say a hemoglobin below 2 or 3 grams per deciliter. Placing a child on 100% FiO2 using a non-rebreather or placing a child in a hyperbaric chamber, where, which is called diving, can increase the oxygen content significantly. This is very rarely used, but may be indicated in patients with severe anemia in wherein we have difficulty finding blood for transfusion due to antibody development, etc. So what we should take away is that acute severe symptomatic anemia in which you are going to have very low hemoglobin, you may consider increasing the FiO2 to optimize your PaO2. Now, remember, hemoglobin should not be the sole criteria to transfuse to improve oxygen content. In fact, recent studies report that liberal use of transfusion may be associated with increased mortality compared to a more restricted cohort, i.e. those who are transfused only if hemoglobin is less than 7. So you want to really assess the clinical picture fully and understand this circuit. Identify the cause intervene, and then reassess. Rahul, can you create a mental model related to oxygen content in the blood for our listeners? Absolutely. I would like to create two mental models. So listen up. 
The first mental model that I want to create is going to surround the oxygen content equation. Remember, the variables in the oxygen content equation are hemoglobin, SAO2, which is saturations, and PaO2, which is the dissolved oxygen within the plasma. So how do we measure these clinically? Well, in order to get your hemoglobin, you order a CBC. In order to get your saturations, you place the patient on a pulse oximeter. And in order to obtain your PaO2, you draw an ABG. Thus, your total oxygen content can be thought of as CBC, pulse ox, and ABG. This is great. What's another way to think of oxygen content? Well, Pradeep, you can think about oxygen content by visualizing a car. Now, many of us have heard that hemoglobin is the car which carries oxygen throughout our body. So the car and the frame of the car represents hemoglobin. Think about the boxcar. The wheels on the car represent the saturations. Four wheels on a car, four binding sites on hemoglobin. And finally, think about a car needing to travel on a very fluid road. This helps you remember that P little AO2 is the dissolved oxygen, which is in the plasma. Pradeep, we also kind of touched on venous oxygen content. Do you mind just highlighting to our listeners how this is calculated? Yeah, Rahul, the venous oxygen content, which is given by CVO2, is very similar to the arterial oxygen content. It is calculated using the formula 1.34 times hemoglobin times the SVO2 plus the quantity 0.03 times PVO2. Typically, mixed venous oxygen saturation is used instead of SAO2 and PVO2, which is the venous dissolved oxygen, is going to be used instead of PAO2. The blood gas is typically obtained from a central venous line. Ideally, it should be at the SVC-RA junction. What you can get with this VBG is going to be your mixed venous oxygen saturation as well as your venous dissolved oxygen. And so what we want to recognize is that venous oxygen content is similar to arterial oxygen content. However, you are going to be using a venous blood gas. So going back to a car analogy, hemoglobin represents the car frame. SAO2 being the wheels on the car, and PAO2 being the fluid road which the car travels on. Remember that a car cannot run without a motor. So what is the motor? It is the cardiac output or the function of the pump. Absolutely, Pradeep. So just to summarize, oxygen delivery is going to be equal to arterial oxygen content times your cardiac output. Rahul, we hear the term AVDO2 all the time. What is this arteriovenous oxygen difference? It is the difference between your arterial oxygen content and your venous oxygen content. And this calculation could be used to assess the adequacy of oxygen delivery as well as oxygen extraction. Typically, in a normal patient, the arterial oxygen content is about 20 mLs of O2 per deciliter of blood. And the venous content in the blood is about 14 mLs of O2 per deciliter of blood. Thus, your arterial venous difference is going to be about 5 
mLs of oxygen per deciliter of blood. How we got that was 20 minus around 15. The normal range for your arterial venous difference is going to be about four to six mLs of oxygen per deciliter of blood. A decrease in oxygen delivery will lead to higher oxygen extraction at the peripheral tissues. And therefore, very important, a high AVO2 difference. A lower AVO2 difference is seen when the tissue is not extracting oxygen. And this is going to be seen in mitochondrial paralysis, such as what we see in sepsis or in cyanide toxicity. Rahul, that was excellent. Let's now shift gears to the next heading of our talk, oxygen consumption or VO2. Rahul, can you highlight the key concepts in VO2? Absolutely. Oxygen consumption or VO2 is the amount of oxygen consumed by the tissues per minute. Certain conditions can result in low oxygen consumption. These include hypothermia in the absence of shivering, sedation or paralysis, coma, brain death, or even cyanide poisoning. Now, increased oxygen consumption can be seen with fever, pain, shivering, increased work of breathing, or positive ionotropes, which increases your myocardial oxygen demand. What's important is that we can use the Fick equation to integrate VO2. VO2 is going to be equal to cardiac index times your AVO2 difference. In ARDS or sepsis, VO2 may continue to increase even as oxygen delivery increases above normal values. Oxygen consumption remains supply-dependent to much higher levels of oxygen delivery, leading to pathologic supply dependency. The exact reason for this pathologic supply dependency is unknown. Pradeep, can you help us understand oxygen extraction a little bit more? It is important to understand that the oxygen delivery in humans is about 620 plus or minus 50 ml per minute per meter square. The oxygen consumption in humans is typically in the range of 120 to 200 ml per minute per square meter. The body normally extracts only about 25% of oxygen delivered to the tissues overall. O2 extraction or ERO2 is given by the formula oxygen delivery divided by oxygen consumption or DO2 divided by VO2, which is equal to about 25%. Oxygen extraction can vary by organ. The heart, brain extract a lot of oxygen, but the kidneys, liver utilize little oxygen. Global impairment in oxygen delivery can thus be determined by monitoring central venous oxygen saturation measured at the SVC-RA junction with the central venous line or mixed venous oxygen saturation measured with a Swan-Gans catheter in the pulmonary artery. So normal mixed venous is about 70 to 75% reflecting an O2 extraction of about 25%. It is important to note that in humans, Oxygen consumption, or VO2, is independent of oxygen delivery, or DO2. As the oxygen delivery decreases, or, on the contrary, as oxygen demand increases, the body responds by extracting more oxygen, and hence, 
your mixed venous oxygen saturation or its oxygen saturation of blood at the SVC-RA junction gradually decreases to reflect this increasing oxygen extraction. So remember that these are inverse concepts. If you have a high oxygen extraction, likely your mixed venous oxygen saturation is going to be low. The body can only extract so much oxygen, and eventually a critical extraction threshold, what we call the critical point of oxygen delivery, is met, and cellular metabolism switches from aerobic to anaerobic. And we see that clinically when patients are going to develop lactic acidosis. I would really advise listeners to visit LearnPICU.com as well as our show notes to see an important graph drafting the relationship between DO2 and VO2. Rahul, an important component of oxygen delivery is cardiac output. Can you tell us more about cardiac output? Absolutely. Cardiac output in liters per minute is going to be heart rate times stroke volume. Cardiac output is typically indexed to body surface area. And that gives us cardiac index. Cardiac index is going to be cardiac output divided by body surface area. Listeners need to remember that newborns and children with heart disease cannot increase stroke volume and therefore are heart rate dependent to increase cardiac output. Any rate or conduction anomalies can affect heart rate. And clinical scenarios that we see this in are things like myocarditis, MISC, arrhythmias, or even poisoning. Stroke volume is the amount of blood pumped at each contraction and is dependent on preload or how much volume returns back to the heart. It is also going to be a function of the pump itself and afterload. So let's break these down. Preload is the stretch of the cardiac myocytes just prior to contraction. This is also going to be known as the left ventricular end diastolic volume. The left ventricular end diastolic volume, which is the volume of blood in the ventricle just prior to contraction, is the best surrogate marker of systemic preload. Preload is going to be decreased in hypovolemia, hemorrhagic shock, as well as in cardiac tamponade. Stroke volume is also determined by cardiac contractility, which is defined as the extent of shortening that occurs in cardiac myocytes when stimulated independent of preload or afterload. It is a function of cardiac muscle performance. This is basically how well does the heart pump on its own. Echocardiographic measurements of shortening fraction and ejection fraction are typically used clinically as estimates of contractility. Listeners need to remember that multiple factors affect contractility, such as catecholamines as well as cardiac electrolytes. Remember, clinically, you want to optimize your calcium, magnesium, and potassium in order for you to have good electrical homeostasis across the cardiac membrane and prevent any sort of arrhythmia. Contractility can be decreased in cardiac shock. Afterload is our final concept, and that is defined as the force opposing the contraction of the left ventricular myocyte during systole. Increased or decreased systemic vascular resistance can affect afterload, especially in shock states. In the next section, let's discuss the assessment of oxygen delivery and consumption clinically at the bedside where it matters. Pradeep, how can you assess oxygen delivery and consumption at the bedside? Rahul, a physical exam of the patient uh, can be used to assess peripheral perfusion, heart rate, 
blood pressure, urine output, and mental status. Serial arterial blood gases, measures of serum lactate, mixed venous uh, oxygen saturation if we have a pulmonary artery catheter, or SCVO2, a measure of hemoglobin, SAO2 also can be obtained. A rise in serum lactate with a falling SCVO2 or mixed venous oxygenation suggests anaerobic metabolism. A rising base deficit, persistent acidosis, decreasing pH may suggest declining oxygen delivery in the right circumstances. Blood lactate can be used as an indirect measure of perfusion. A temporal trend is more valuable than a single number. Rate of production and clearance is also affected by liver metabolism. Rahul, are there any serum biomarkers we can use to assess cardiac function? Absolutely. You can draw a BNP, also known as a brain natriuretic peptide, or a troponin, which is very specific to the myocardium. Troponin increases are going to be seen in myocarditis, pericarditis, coronary injury or occlusion, as well as sepsis. BNP is released in response to ventricular wall stress due to increased volume or pressure overload. High levels of circulating BNP have been correlated with congestive heart failure states, and a trend over time is likely going to be most helpful in the pediatric ICU. Pradeep, we've also heard about NIRS. What can you tell us about near infrared spectroscopy? Rahul, NIRS helps us assess the systemic and regional oxygen transport. NIRS is commonly used particularly in patients with congenital heart disease as a means of trending regional oxygen delivery or as a surrogate marker for mixed venous oxygen saturation or systemic oxygen delivery. It is frequently used in the cardiac ICUs in patients undergoing VA ECMO. Rahul, so how can we improve oxygen delivery? So when we think about oxygen delivery, like we talked about earlier in this episode, we can give a patient a blood transfusion, especially if the hemoglobin is less than 7. We can also increase the FiO2 to increase the oxygen saturation. We can decrease oxygen consumption by reducing fever, catabolic states, treating infection, treating agitation, and cooling while avoiding shivering. We can also decrease oxygen consumption by early intubation, if necessary, in a patient with severe respiratory distress. Think about your bone marrow transplant patients as a classic example. Avoiding vasopressors can also decrease myocardial oxygen requirement and oxygen consumption. However, it is going to be very dependent on the clinical state which you are in. So, Pradeep, how can we tackle? oxygen consumption. Let's break this down in a systems-based manner. For the respiratory system, we can reduce respiratory distress by supporting the patient using either non-invasive or invasive mechanical ventilation. Treat arrhythmias as this can increase oxygen consumption but can also derail the cardiac output and thus oxygen delivery. We can reduce pain, agitation, treat fever, seizures, and minimize shivering. At times, you may not have a great clinical assessment of the subclinical status, so consider placing an EEG on the patient prior to initiating paralysis. From an infectious disease standpoint, we can use antibiotics after obtaining blood cultures and other cultures 
relevant to the patient condition. Pradeep, as we wrap up today, would you have any clinical pearls for us regarding auction delivery and auction consumption? Raul, I think this was a great episode, and this concept is fundamental to pediatric critical care medicine. I still remember having an index card, which has components of oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption. I would encourage you as listeners to frequently visit this at the bedside so you can think of this in a structured way. Finally, rather than delving in complicated formulas, understand the different variables in the equation, how you can measure them clinically, and which variables are most stressed in the formula. To summarize today's episode, we talked about auction delivery and auction consumption. Have a mental model. Remember the car, which represents arterial auction content, and the motor of the car being cardiac output. We also reviewed basics of cardiac physiology, as cardiac output is the electrical activity of the heart times the mechanical activity of the heart. Finally, we shifted gears and talked about auction consumption and how increased auction consumption can decrease your mixed venous auction saturation and increase your arterial venous difference. Lastly, we created a model on how to clinically assess and modulate oxygen consumption. This concludes our episode today on oxygen delivery and oxygen consumption. We greatly appreciate LearnPQ collaboration for content, and we hope you found value in this podcast. Please visit learnpq.com for additional information, figures, and formulae. We welcome you to share your feedback and place a review on our podcast. PQ Doc on Call is hosted by me, Pradeep Kamat, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Timania. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. 